Hello, is this thing on? Do you think they can hear us? Nah, let's say it again. Hi, and welcome to the Gritty Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion related to health and healthcare. My name is Amy. And my name is Sarah. And we are your podcast hosts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Amazon, or any other podcast listening platform, don't forget to subscribe so you can get updates to when we have our latest episodes. Also, don't forget to rate and review us. And if you like what you're hearing and you love our advocacy work, don't forget to go to www.grittynurse.com and click on the donate button. As little as $1 or $2 a month for a total of $12 a year will help us with our monthly podcast costs such as website hosting, our hosting platform, audio equipment, and the time and energy it takes us to put out good quality episodes. We thank you and we appreciate you. Hi and welcome everyone. I'm so excited for the guest that we have. You know, Sarah, this this particular physician, he is kind of a badass. I mean, we've seen um, some of his activism online. I think that we're fortunate to have another physician that's championing some of the work that nursing has been doing. So how about I hand it over to you, Sarah, and you can introduce our guest. I am super excited to have this guest today because he has been actively and openly supporting nurses throughout this pandemic in a lot of the struggles that we have faced. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Dr. Chris Kiefer. He's an emergency medicine physician with an interest in activated learning through simulation-based medical education. He is the director of EM Deliberate Practice, a high-risk medical procedural training course. He is also the founder and director of Doctors for Nuclear Energy. Dr. Kiefer is pro-nuclear climate and clean air activist and the host of the Decouple podcast and We Can Do It podcast. Dr. Kiefer is the president of Canadians for Nuclear Energy, a grassroots nonprofit made up of climate, health, and labor advocates. Welcome, Chris. It sounds like you are the jack of all trades plus more. We're so excited to have you today. Well, it's wonderful to be with you guys. And I mean, that's certainly the joke they make about us emerge ducks. Jack of all trades. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to master some, but yeah, a lot, a lot on my plate. Uh, but it's, it's such a pleasure to, uh, to be on your podcast as a fellow podcaster. I know a lot about what goes on behind the scenes. So it's, it's just fun uh, jumping on someone else's show. So thanks again for having me. Awesome. So I was just wondering um, if you could tell us a little bit more about your background in medicine, kind of how you got to where you are today. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's always that like med school interview question of like, so why, why do you want to go into medicine? And for me, I mean, it started pretty young. Um, I actually was really not great at math. I mean, I just didn't like it. So I didn't try very hard. Um, but I was, I was really into like the physiology side. I had a sort of social justice bent. Um, and I was actually in undergrad doing a fine arts degree. Um, doing some painting and sculpting and some humanities wow. courses. <laughs> and, uh, I just really wanted to have a, like I was, I was writing some pretty, pretty badass papers, making some great arguments, but I wanted to have a concrete skill. And I got really inspired by um, Dr. Paul Farmer, who uh, is an infectious disease doctor uh, who runs Partners in Health, which is a, I guess it's like the least NGO-y of the NGOs in terms of actually like working with local health systems, um, not undermining them, but strengthening them. But in any case, he, he does some amazing work um, in Haiti, mostly 
working on access to healthcare and strengthening health services there and was a very inspiring figure. And so I thought, hey, why don't I give this a try? I was in second year university, went back to high school and brushed up on on science and math and went into medicine. And, you know, it's a big gamble, but but luckily it, it paid off. And um, yeah, I mean, I, my motivations, I think, were very much rooted in questions of social justice. And I remember, you know, when I was uh, starting medical school, I was like, you know, the kind of activism I've been doing, like, you can all bring it back to health, right? I mean, fundamentally, my core values are around helping individuals, people achieve their full potential and removing the kind of systemic barriers that that remove that full potential. And I was like, if you can, you know, describe this in the language of health, then everyone will be on board. And I kind of assumed all I could radicalize my entire med school class um, into progressive activists and kind of remember the, uh, <laughs> the disappointment of that not quite being the case. No, I think I think this is where you can continue to expand because when when it comes to activism in nursing, we weren't really taught about activism. We were taught about how to advocate for our patients, but in terms of, you know, the political and social advocacy that we do ourselves now on our even on our podcast wasn't something that was, you know, talked about or that was something that was seen to be done in nursing. So like I'd like you kind of to dive a little bit more into that in particular with medicine because, you know, it's really important, and I don't understand why we don't talk about social justice in healthcare. I mean, it is really interesting because with physicians, we have the CanMed roles that, you know, these include things like, you know, being a manager and being able to sort of steward resources and, and apply them in the right directions. But one of them is to be an advocate. Um, so it certainly gets some play. I, I'll say I have my sort of like Andy Warhol 15 minutes of fame back in, it was 2012 or 2013. The Harper government at the time had just cut the refugee health benefit, the interim federal health program, in a really draconian way. It was super gross. I mean, you could get treatment for, I think it was HIV and TB, but if you were suicidal, then you 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 know you wouldn't be covered, right? So it was very much, if you could get a Canadian sick, then, you know, ugh, I guess we'll have to cover you otherwise not. I mean, it excluded refugee women who were pregnant from getting prenatal care. It removed the support for, you know, buying insulin for diabetics or refugees. So this really annoyed me and a number of other physicians that I was uh, working with. I mean, there's always that sort of like radical health area. There's, you know, you'll find communities um, within whatever profession that are that are more on that side of, side of things. And we organized um, a series of disruptions. So every time a, a conservative um, MP from the Harper government uh, would give a press conference. Um, we went and interrupted it. And so the very first one happened at Toronto General Hospital uh, when Joe Oliver, who's actually the uh, the Minister of Natural Resources, came to make a, an a announcement about isotopes. Um, and I, I stood up in the press conference, um, interrupted the press conference, drawing attention to the issue of the uh, interim federal health cuts. And it was just a very strange sort of bit of choreography. Um, you know, it wasn't handled particularly well by either the minister or by the uh, Bob Bell, who was the the president of, uh, of I believe, I'm not sure if it's UHN or which which group of hospitals. Um, but it turned into this really big media moment. Um, it turned into a bit of a viral video that got a quarter million views or something like that. And not to, this isn't just to tell a self indulgent story, but um, it's funny because that video has actually now been used. Um, I've been told by a number of medical schools with their medical students to talk about, okay, can med roles, advocacy, like, does this fit? Is this kosher or not? Right. Because it was a pretty big deal disrupting a, a federal minister, disrupting right. a, a conference, a press conference at a hospital, you know, confrontation with the government, with the, the CEO of the hospital. 
And, uh, you know, I did actually get to go and speak at my alma mater at McMaster University and speak with some of the students and it sort of addressed that and hear their takes like, oh, my God, and we feel this is totally inappropriate to other people who are like, yes, like we need more of this in medicine. So um, it's been interesting to be kind of become a part of of that CanMed debate um, and what is the right place for for healthcare professionals to take um, in terms of in terms of advocacy. Yeah. No, I was going to say, I think that's awesome. And I need to go look for that video now. And I bet anyone that's listening is going to Google that right now, because I think it's a, it's pivotal, right? We need people to disrupt the system and really challenge long-held beliefs by people that have been in power for a long time. And this is something that Amy and I try to do. And I know that you have been advocating for a number of issues for a long time, because even when I was looking for that open letter you penned on behalf of nurses, I saw that there were a number of other open letters that you've written in the past. And I'm just wondering, um, was there any particular moment or incident that sort of inspired you to write this letter to support nurses? Because we are so grateful for what you've done and really you've got the conversation going from a physician perspective. Like Mm -hmm. what sort of made you want to write this letter? I mean, a lot of things, you know, the department I work in has been hit really, really hard um, by this whole sort of crisis in terms of nursing retention. And the stat I've heard is we've lost something like 50% of our nurses. And, you know, even when we bring in new nurses, um, people don't even learn their names before they leave a lot of the time. And so that's been been really concerning. And it's been sort of bubbling in the background for a while. Um, but it's really just through kind of conversations that I started having on the job and and off the job. Um, with some of my colleagues that really brought it home for me. Like we're in the, in the Emerge, we're, we're a team, we're a family, we work together. Um, where it's a really, it's a really beautiful environment that way. And I don't know, it's just like when you see a member of your family getting beaten up, um, <laughs> you want to stand up for them. And so, yeah, just through, through having these conversations, it really led, led me to think, well, you know, I've got this history of advocacy and I've, I've got some know-how with, to, to raise awareness around an issue and advocate. So, you know, what, what is it that I can do? You know, and I was thinking about, oh man, we should organize like a march at Queens Park. We should do this, we should do that. But just in terms of the, you know, very kind of much an emerge triage focused thing, like what's, what's the, with the limited resources I have at this moment, like what's, what's the biggest thing I can do? And so I thought, oh, okay, I'll, I'll write an open letter. And luckily, I have some friends that are very well connected and were able to really get it out into a broader network. And it it got 400 signatures within two or three days from uh, emergency physicians across the province. And, you know, I have been a part of physician advocacy in the past that hasn't been related to issues just of physician benefit. I think, you know, myself as well, I'm a bit of a cynic, but sometimes... I've been frustrated when physician advocacy has been only limited in terms of kind of, okay, well, this is our self-interest or, you know, we want to renegotiate our schedule of benefits or this, that, or the other. Um, I've been really inspired when physicians have done stuff through that CanMed role for things more generally like the refugee uh, interim health program. And this just feels like such a vital issue. I really don't think people understand the depth of this crisis and, and the threat it has to, I mean, not just public healthcare, but healthcare in general. We're already in too deep into this retention crisis, and it's going to take 5, 10, 15 years, you know, to sort of rebuild what what we've lost. And I'm, I'm really worried about that for, for my patients and also just for, for my family in the ER. So that's, that's what motivated the letter. 
Yeah, I really like how the letter was written because you say that, you know, emergency departments are in crisis and this time it's not due to the lack of beds and ventilators, it's due to lack of nurses, which I think sometimes the public doesn't realize. Like, it's not, like, a bed is just a bed unless you have someone to provide that skilled care, right? Mm -hmm. And the fact that I really like what you said here, every single one of us will be cared for a nurse at some point in our lives. They will carefully administer us essential medications, change our dressings, bathe us and be at our side day and night to accompany us through our illnesses. And I don't know how many other professions that are out there where you can say the same thing. Like mm-hmm. literally all of us will need a nurse at some point in our lives, which maybe people forget when they're healthy and they don't they don't really need any medical care. Well, by need, I mean, it's like it's a need need. You know, there's like <laughs> you might pass through a number of other professions kind of in a way that's not as it's not as intense, right? I mean, my my dad's been in and out of the hospital a number of times. And yeah, like it's, you know, before we had healthcare, before we had these these roles, I mean, this is what a family member might do for a sick, sick elderly person in the home, you know, and it's it's a huge burden, a lot of like, hands off, a lot of people still do that. That caring, caregiving work is, is critically important. I mean, it's, it's exhausting, it's really hard to do. And so really lucky that we have you know, dedicated professions for it. But, you know, when I hand my father off and he's admitted to hospital and he's looked after, like, obviously it's the medical, the whole medical team. It's, you know, the, the, the imaging, the, the testing he's getting, all the high-end stuff. But really it's, it's the, the nurses that I'm really so grateful for because they're fulfilling what, like that family role, right? Like, you know, I go in there and I might kind of give him a little sponge bath or something, but just to know that there's someone there um, who he's connecting with for his family that can't be around him 24-7. It's just, that's kind of what strikes me. That's that's what I think is so potent about a role that's not just that, though, as well, right? And I think that's something that's really misunderstood is, and I've, I've heard nurses say, like, we need to come up with a new word because nurse just is very antiquated and it doesn't talk to the very high level of skills that that you guys have as a profession. You know, there's a, there's a nursing week um, that we celebrate every year. And I'd wanted to sort of get together with some of my colleagues and make a spoof video about, you know, a what if scenario if, if the emergency department all of a sudden there were no nurses and it was just all doctors trying to run the department and what an absolute disaster it would be. I mean, I think I think of my own math skills and mixing meds and, yep. you know, dilutions <laughs> and things like that. I mean, there's so much to what to what you guys do. And, you know, we're so appreciative of it. So that's what the letter was trying to get across. I'll be honest, we're grateful that that you wrote that because I, I feel that, you know, there has been kind of like a, a long-standing history of somewhat of like tension and animosity mm-hmm. between, you know, nursing and physician staff, not all the time, but you know, there are those, those stories that we hear and we get to, but it's important to have, you know, that physician involvement to help support. And I think that, you know, you, you talked about repealing bill 124, mm-hmm. which caps nurses wages at, you know, it's actually less than 1%. And you also said, you know, like your healthcare d- depends on it, but what else do you think needs to change in relation to nursing support and how can we get more physicians involved in some of the work that you're doing? So I know that you got almost mm-hmm. 300, 400 yeah. um, physicians signing. There's a lot more physicians on Ontario. How do we get, how do we mobilize the rest of them to help support nursing? I mean, yeah, first off, this was just ER physicians, right? So it wasn't open to everybody else. So that's, that's a large number of ER physicians. And I, you know what, Absolutely. I haven't actually gone back and checked the Excel spreadsheet. I think it's, I think it's probably at more like seven, 800 now, but certainly I think your question is critical, you know, just, just to sort of go briefly on one little tangent here, the impact of writing that letter um, has been really, really powerful, not just in terms of the media attention that it got and the way it put the issue on the agenda, but also just the morale boost. Um, for my nursing colleagues, um, 
to see, hey, well, we are a family and we actually, you know, this is a concrete demonstrable like showing of solidarity and support that we need right now. Right. I think physicians like to, they try and make a lot of gestures. Like I know our, our group sort of like, you know, buys the dinner and drinks at the Christmas party or we'll make cards mm-hmm. or like little displays, how much we appreciate our nurses. And that's, that's nice stuff. Don't get me wrong. But my strong sense at the time was like, that's, that's not what's needed. And in a way that's, it's not that it's insulting, but it's like, Hey guys, like we're drowning right now. Like we don't need, um, like a candy lifesaver. We need an actual lifesaver, you know, like right, right. we need, we need you guys to step in. So this, this felt like a really concrete way to, to make that happen. Um, I think as more and more physicians become aware of this, you know, I, I, I became aware because sections of our emergency department were being shut down because there weren't enough nurses to staff. And I think yeah. that was really the kind of like, whoa moment for me. And I think that's going to become more and more commonplace um, as this crisis continues and more docs are going to be aware of it. They need to be sort of equipped with the analysis, um, with the sort of trailblazers who are doing the communications to um, to understand sort of what pragmatic steps to take next. You know, our physician group actually um, came together and, and made a vote to donate money to um, this grassroots nursing campaign, Nurse with Sign 416. And that was something that I thought was really, really incredible. Um, I wasn't sure how it would go over with my, my physician group, but 92% of us uh, voted to... Um, to make a pretty decent donation to this grassroots activism and advocacy. And so I think extraordinary times call for extraordinary measures. And I'm hoping, you know, this podcast as well, hopefully there's some physician listeners that, that will find ways to, uh, to come together and, and support one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really good that you talked about something tangible. And just going back to nursing week, it's every year in May. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's sort of like, it's like when we talk about Black History Month, when we talk about Nursing Week, it's a lot of people view it as this once a year thing. You you check off a box and then it's done. But really what we need is support year round. And Nursing Week is a reason definitely to do that, but it shouldn't be just a one-off. And I'm really glad that you thought about the fact that, you know, this is what's needed because it is kind of insulting sometimes on Nursing Week when you get a keychain. Uh, or you get like a water bottle and it's like, that's the last thing you need right now. You actually need right. support to do your job properly and safely to get the training that you need. And like you said in your letter, nurses have been trying to, you know, they've been showing how they feel with their feet. Mm-hmm. And but by that, we mean leaving the profession or leaving the bedside. And I'm just wondering, like, in terms of relationships between physicians and nurses, I know that, you know, historically, there might have been some tension Um just wondering how you feel about that. Do you feel like there is tension between physicians and nurses, like, or has it changed during the pandemic? That's a good question. I mean, it's it's interesting just looking back historically, right? And you know, the way that hospitals, I think, used to sort of they almost ran like a like a navy ship, right? And from what I hear, I've I've never seen this, right? But the doctor would walk onto the ward, and the nurses all in their uniforms would stand up and almost like salute when the doctor came in, yeah. and like obviously, you know that's before my time. And I think it's a, you know, strong consensus that that those days being dead is a very good thing. Um, I think, you know, I've been heartened by, um, especially doing simulation education, um, where we really, you know, bring multidisciplinary teams together and, you know, eliminate the hierarchical environment and realize that we all have very specialized roles um, that can inform each other, particularly in situ simulation, where you're you're really figuring out a lot of the sort of systems barriers. That gives an incredible appreciation to how important it is that we we all work together and that we really acknowledge the strengths that we each bring. 
in regards to the pandemic, it's an interesting question. Um, I think there's been a lot of, you know, just being in this kind of this crisis mode that's maybe made us a little bit more, and I'm just riffing here kind of from my individual experience, but like a little more inwardly focused, you know, I think as, as the nursing crisis and the retention crisis, um, comes more and more into, you know, into focus. Um, I think it, it is a real opportunity for us to, to speak together and to work more closely together. And I mean, even if you just like in the narrowest of self-interest, if you're a physician who just, you know, doesn't respect nurses, doesn't really care. I mean, if, if you want a workplace that works, like you need skilled nurses around, I think everyone can see that. So there's a real broad alignment here. Um, and, uh, and I think a real opportunity for things, things to change. Cause what I'm also seeing as well as a lot of, um, frontline nurses who have be- are becoming empowered by this activism who are coming out publicly. Like that was part of the reason why I started off writing this open letter and, and got the ball rolling was because there's an environment where nurses are too afraid to come forward to, to the media. They fear retribution, mm-hmm. losing their jobs, et cetera, in a way that doctors don't need to worry about. Um, and so, you know, I stepped forward like to, to use that privilege that I have in my profession but it's been amazing seeing that fear fall away and seeing some of my colleagues who have come out publicly like Nancy Halupa and Leah Waxman, um, Helen Winter and others, you know, who've said, you know what, you know, like I'm at the end of my rope and I care about this issue enough that I'm going to identify myself. And that's been really powerful because then they've been able to be, you know, spoken to directly in the media, to be interviewed, to have their voices heard. So I'm, I'm really exciting, excited about you know, moments like this, which are, they arise out of really difficult, difficult situations, but they kind of allow the rule book to be rewritten. Um, and I think to make changes that should be fundamental and long lasting. You know, that that's kind of what I, what I hope for the pandemic too. I really hope that, you know, the sense of solidarity and the sense of support from our physician peers will kind of continue onwards. But mm-hmm. another aspect is, you know, with advocacy, it's it's a double-edged sword, right? So, you know, we're going out, we're saying here are some of the changes that we need, but we're also seeing the negative aspects and consequences of, you know, saying that we need to see change. And for example, you probably have heard and seen counter protests. And my question to you is, how, how do we manage these things? Especially, for example, when like, here's one of my concerns. I'm going to be coming out October 3rd to to stand with nurses in mm-hmm. solidarity to say, you know, we need to get rid of Bill 124. We need to encourage people to get vaccinated. But on the other hand, we know that almost every weekend we're seeing these counter protests of, you know, the health misinformation and some of them call themselves mm-hmm. nurses. So what would I and, you know, it's not even just nurses. There are certain physicians that are a part of this. Mm-hmm. What is it that you you would like to say to them at this point? Well, I think that the October 3rd rally provides a, a really, really important opportunity for the public. Like, you know, nurses are going to be there. I hope a lot of doctors are there, but I really hope the public shows up as well. I'm doing my best to to get the public out there because it's this this kind of protest on October 3rd is the antidote for these anti-vax, anti-mask protests that have been targeting hospitals um, and even schools in BC, I've heard. Um, you know, it's, it's a time at which, you know, we're having faced the fatigue of this marathon of COVID and now a fourth wave, which is vaccine preventable. It's, it's such a disheartening time for, for healthcare workers. And particularly again, nurses who are the ones and who have been the ones filling in for family members, especially when visitation um, has been so limited, sort of being the family member, holding their hands to have, you know, anti-vax protesters harassing you at this time is, is, is such a deep wound. 
And I think the public, you know, really repudiates um, these anti-vax, anti-vax, uh, anti-mask protesters. And I hope that we can give them um, a an antidote again, like I said to that. You know, if you if you were someone who banged a pot and pan, you know, during the first months of the pandemic every night at 7 p.m., like this is the time to bang that pot and pan. Um, and this is a way to make it really concrete. You know, like this is nurses asking for your help and solidarity at this point. You know, not just because, hey, like, you know, the cost of living is going up and we can't afford our mortgages anymore, et cetera. But it's, you know, we care about healthcare. We care about our profession. We are, we don't want to leave our profession. We don't, we want young people to come into this profession. Like that's what I found to be so inspiring is that, you know, nurses are so burned out, so exhausted. Um, but you know, the ones that I'm working alongside organizing these, these, uh, campaigns, they're, they're putting in the time on their off hours. I mean, it's actually becoming a source of energy for them because they see themselves as like protagonists now able to make a positive change. And that's a really, really powerful thing that's come out of out of this whole uh, activism about the retention crisis. Yeah, I think that's important because um, nursing has traditionally felt very silenced, right? There's a lot of fear. So not just mm-hmm. not just from their organizations, from their union, from their college, but sometimes even from each other. You know, mm-hmm. they don't nurses don't always support each other in um, the advocacy or going out into the media. And I think that's a problem. But what Amy and I are trying to do, and maybe what you're trying to do too, is role model the change that we want to see. I would love to see more nurses, you know, active on social media, talking about these sorts of issues, or joining us in the media doing these radio and TV interviews, because I think it's so important to hear from people that are actually experiencing it. And if we don't speak, then we're really allowing others to speak on our behalf. Mm-hmm. And we definitely want the narrative to be in our voice. That's that's really important to us. And so I think that's something that I would like to see change. I don't know if things have changed yet, but Amy and I have noticed, you know, a few nurses that are joining us in becoming more vocal and we really encourage them to do everything they can. And, you know, if people are not sure how to get started or they're afraid of something, like we're happy to share our experience with them. Yeah, the, the nurse, like this whole nurse with sign Instagram account. Uh, it's such a powerful, powerful thing, right? I mean, I'm I'm mm-hmm. kind of in that age group where I haven't mastered Instagram by any means. I'm a, I'm a Twitter guy, but um, <laughs> but you know the 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 poignancy of the messages that they can fit on a on a tiny little placard or piece of paper, um, and the realness of you know taking those photos at work or in PPE or whatever, um, you know, and it's just, it's just so different than sort of um, the more sort of bureaucratic messaging that you see from. Um, you know, from the unions, et cetera, not like I'm not bashing on the unions here, but there's something mm-hmm. really exciting and, and it's just not rep- reproducible of, of that kind of grassroots energy. Um, and really, um, you know, being friends with, um, and colleagues with, uh, the founders of, of nurse, the sign 416, it's, it's been really amazing seeing that campaign and, and seeing just how powerful it's been. And they've actually managed to fundraise, money now to um, have those those images from the Instagram account flashed on the Young and Dundas uh, huge screens downtown. So, I mean, it's incredible. It's it's kind of a shame that like they're having to do this on their like the small kind of time off work that they have. But on the other hand, no one could do it better um, than them and everyone else who's contributed to that 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 campaign. So just a huge shout out to nurse with sign 416. And I think it's modeling, as you're saying, within nursing culture, if I may be so bold from as an outsider to say this, but I think it's really modeling like, Hey, like we, we need to not be afraid and speak our minds. I mean, in some of the communications, the way in which I see nurses talk to is very, 
um, paternalistic or no, that's the right word, but like almost like, oh, children behave now, you know? And yeah, like it, yeah. it's sh- like having been included on a few email threads where I've seen this kind of pattern of behavior, I was just like blown away, blown away. Like no physician would ever accept being spoken to that way. Um, and it was it was cool seeing nurses saying, you know what, no, we're not going to take that. No, you don't get to talk to us like children. Like we're a vital profession. And I mean, it, it's it's interesting that, you know, things being as bad as they are, I think some of these nurses are less afraid of the 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 consequences or the, the fears they used to have of retribution from within their institutions because they say, you know what, fire me. What are you going to do? You're, mm-hmm. you're going to have no one left to run your... So there's almost like a political power in the shortage, which is like a very interesting dynamic. I'm seeing a, a level of empowerment, which is really exciting, which is like people are afraid of, people in management, et cetera, are afraid of, but I think is um, is very powerful. If you're not afraid of it and trying to snuff it out, um, that kind of energy, it's it's well-intentioned and it's ultimately, it's people on the very front line, I think, that are most aware of what's going on and the changes that need to be made. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know you might not be able to say, it, but myself and Sarah can say it, where it's just like, you know, we, we've experienced that. We've been on the receiving end where, you know, um, not, not in the current organizations that we're working with, but in previous organizations where, you know, that language where they feel that it's acceptable to speak to a nurse this way, they get away with it, right? Like, I mean, I remember mm-hmm. even saying one time to Sarah at a previous organization that we both worked, the way that they would talk to myself and Sarah versus now if a doctor walked around the corner and then they had to speak to them, it was like night and day. And I was like, well, you know what? Mm-hmm. I should still be respected as a human being, like at least have right. the respect for me as just a human being. And this is where we keep on talking about, you know, um, really illustrating to the public what nursing is all about, because I think that that narrative has been has been written by a lot of other people and the mm-hmm. respect for nurses isn't really there. And I think with this groundswell of what we're seeing with this advocacy work, this this ability to be like, I'm not taking this shit anymore because that's really what it is, right? Mm-hmm. The powers that may right. be are putting pressures on and really actually, you know, intimidating, gaslighting, causing fear in nurses where there really actually shouldn't be. It's not a problem to go right. out and advocate about social justice issues. It shouldn't be a problem to go and advocate for the fact that, you know, nurses have been trampled on and are being really exploited at this point in terms of the work that we're expected to do. We're continued to expect we're continually expected to do more and more with less and less. And it's unacceptable. Mm-hmm. We have to get to this this point where we're saying, you know, enough is enough because we can't continue on the way that it's going. And the thing is, you know, I'm glad that nurses are standing up. This is something that we should have been doing years and years ago. And I know I wanted to echo one of the things that you had said where you're, you're, you said, you know, you're not of the age where, you know, um, a physician walked in and, and everyone saluted, but it's kind of unfortunate that that perception has been taught to us in nursing. Like I can remember, and this is only Mm -hmm. like, you know, within the last 10 years where, I was told by a clinical instructor that if a physician comes, I need to give my seat up to him so he can chart in, in Meditech or document or whatever the case mm-hmm. may be. And I was like, this is crazy. And I think that mm-hmm. we really need to move beyond that aspect and, and really challenge our, our leaders and our, our peers and our colleagues that is it wrong for us to be to, to not accept the status quo? It absolutely isn't. Like, I think this is the work mm-hmm. that just needs to be done. 
No, I was just curious, like so as mentioning at the very beginning, like we're taught in medical school, you have like one of your six fundamental roles as a physician is to be an advocate, is to sort of stand up. I mean, they avoid the word activist because that's just, you know, whatever, advocate. It's like, is, is there anything like that? Too edgy. Too oh, edgy. Come is there anything on. like that in, in, in a nursing curriculum where they're like one of your roles? I mean, probably to advocate on behalf of your patients, but more broadly in society, is there any... No, I think, absolutely nope. not. Like, why should that be <laughs> nope. limited to doctors? Like, you know, we sure we have it. We have an important perspective. And I think there's a really amazing history, particularly within public health of physicians, um, you know, really making a difference, raising their voices, using their profile. But there's no reason why that shouldn't be a nursing role as well. In my experience, there has been advocacy um, from professional organizations in the union. And there's this culture in nursing where we think that, you know, they're advocating on our behalf. And so there's no need for me to advocate. Or if I really dig deep and I think about some nursing advocates, I can think of maybe Kathy Crow. I don't know if you've heard of yes, her. Yeah. She's she's huge into advocating for um, the homeless population. But aside from her, we're kind of like looking around like there's crickets, really. And I think that it's just people are looking to myself and Amy now to kind of take this a little bit further but at the same time there's strength in numbers like there are 400,000 nurses across Canada and we really need to band together and create a singular message and I think this is what's happening with um, nurse with sign 416 and this you know this uh, protest that's happening I think that this is really the change that we need to see and really it's it's not modeled in nursing school and I guess what I would say here is it's also because nurses haven't been seen as you know, social and political leaders and change, right? You know, we see physicians doing that role. We see them coming out and saying, mm -hmm. here are some, you know, whether it's climate change or whether it's politics, we see them coming out and having these conversations in media, but nurses aren't typically seen as, you know, um, people who would do that. We mm -hmm. tend to be, I don't know, I, I hate saying this, but we tend to be kind of, you know, like the supporting character in the shadows, but we continually urge myself and Sarah to push nurses to to get involved in politics, get involved in social change. Like what are some of the things surrounding health that you think are important that, that you should be a part of it and should have that conversation. And of course now mm -hmm. um, the other thing that Sarah and I do is we push the media. So we're like, Hey, if you've right. had that conversation with a physician, you need to pick up the phone and you need to call a nurse too. Like we have the yeah. knowledge, we have the skill and we have the judgment. Ask us these questions. We want to be involved in the arena. If we're not, if we don't have a place to help make those decisions, it just really it one it excludes us and then we also have an an added voice that is actually really needed to to be there well listen i mean in terms of the open letter you know that was really informed by speaking with uh, some of my nursing colleagues and just you know there's some really um pretty intense imagery uh, that a friend of mine shared a nurse friend of mine shared and you know she was talking about like being pressured to you know zip up the body bag and get the patient out of the room as quickly as possible because we needed the bed right um, or, you know, holding the hand of the patient, um, that was about to get intubated, you know, and likely, you know, we know with COVID more likely than not, you're not getting off that ventilator it depends on your demographic slightly, but yeah, you know, and the kind of emotional burden that held. And that really, that really impacted me because, you know, I know from my own work in the emergency department, um, seeing many, many deaths, some of patients far too young, um, it, it's it becomes more and more of an emotional burden it becomes more and more difficult the more you know about the family the patient their context etc right so um that's that's something that i think 
I've gained a big appreciation for in terms of my nursing colleagues. Again, as I was saying, especially when families really weren't allowed and nurses had to step in and, and really fill in that role of accompanying their lonely patients. Um, when a patient did die, um, or when a patient does die in that setting, you know, it's it's such a heavier impact borne by borne by my nursing colleagues than by myself. Um, so it's it's things like that, um, as you were saying, in terms of the advocacy, where you know I can advocate and bring a certain lens. It's very important, but there's some really really important stuff I think, and we need to we need to listen to all the voices on the healthcare team. And I'm, I'm yeah, I think you guys are a really great example of that, and it's exciting, right? Like being um, at the forefront of something that's emerging and, and budding and building and a change in culture. Um, and I, yeah, I really do see that happening. And I think it's, it's, um, just such a great, like unambiguously great thing. Yes. I'd, I'd say it is, it is exciting. It is challenging. And, um, I mean, with the good, there is the bad, like we do have, um, we do get some negative flack every once in a while, especially that we're a little bit more, um, prevalent on social media and actually even this weekend, I had to say, you know, like, if you don't have anything good to contribute to the conversation, then then I'm just going to block and delete. Like we mm-hmm. we get a lot of hate mail and hate tweets back and forth to us. And we're, now now I'm at the stage where it's just like, OK, block and move yeah. on because it's, it's, it's really not even worth engaging in that 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 dialogue at that point. But I mean, I think mm-hmm. I think the work is worthwhile and we have to do it. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Before we let you go, uh, Chris, is there anything that you'd like to add to our conversation we, that we that we haven't touched yeah. on that we missed? I mean, it's been a very fulsome conversation. I have to say, guys, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, don't, I just I just have so many questions for you guys, right? Oh. Uh, I mean, just like, well, you know, getting a sense of you know, like what what nursing education is like and that sense of advocacy was like one example of that. But yeah, I mean. It looks like Quebec stepped forward and and made some sort of a gesture. Um, yep. At least I know part time nurses were excluded. That. But like, uh, what's what's your guys' sense of things? Um, like, I'm I'm perceiving this from a physician who's well cuted uh, now to a uh, you know a little WhatsApp chat group. Like, it's it's been incredible <laughs> being included in this uh, in this whole kind of activism and getting the the perspective. Like, wow, what a way to get a nursing perspective, and that's really enriched my my. Uh, my perceptions and understanding of, of how healthcare works, I have to say, but yeah, I mean, how, how are you guys feeling? Are you, is this a moment where you're feeling hopeful? Um, what, what do you think the prospects are? Um, what do you think about the March that's coming up? You know, I'm, I want to say that I'm cautiously optimistic. Like I think this whole pandemic has been a roller coaster for me, like both professionally and personally, like in the first wave, I lost my grandmother. She was in a long-term care facility Mm -hmm. and of course we couldn't visit her. So we never got any of that closure. And I do think about the nurses and the staff that were involved with her care, because I'm sure they had a burden to carry as well. I just think that there's been so much, so many insults to nursing that we're just in a kind of funny, dark place right now where I don't think we can ever go back to the way it was before. Like something's got to change because we're, we're losing nurses left, right and center. And if nurses haven't taken early retirement or haven't stepped back on their hours, then they are looking to leave the bedside. They're looking for these non-traditional roles because I think deep down, most nurses still want to be nurses, but they just can't handle what the system is expecting them to do, you know, with more and more, with less and less. Mm -hmm. So I think the time is ripe that there is a lot of change that can occur. So I don't know. I think things could, 
there's many different directions that nursing could go right now. Yeah. And if I could just add, like I, I'd say the same, Sarah, I'm cautiously optimistic. But if I, if I wanted to look at it on a grander scale, I feel like things are kind of amping up, to be honest. Looking at looking to Alberta, looking to BC and seeing some of the stuff that's happening out there. Like, I don't know how any nurse who is going through triage protocol right now is going to be able to really bounce back from that um, in a positive way. I think that we need to focus on mental health. I think that is the elephant in the room that we don't con- we continue to miss and not talk about because I, as much as, you know, nurses and physicians are working really hard through this and, and we say, Oh, you know, we see the strength and resilience of, of these teams. I think there's a lot to be said in terms of the mental health aspect. And we really need to focus on that. And that's one of the big, biggest things that concerns me. And the other part is just looking at it globally. Right. I think, um, in terms of the tensions uh, politically, um, they're rallying up, right? I mean, the fact that I think the PPC group is a group to watch. Like, I think some people are like, oh, don't don't worry about them. No, I am worried about them. Like, they received over eight hundred thousand votes. They're the fact that we've seen them at rallies and we have colleagues that say that they are nurses who are a part of these groups. And they're escalating behavior when it comes to, you know, protesting outside of hospitals, protesting outside of schools, breaking into the Eaton Center over the weekend and, and, you know, rallying there. My concern is what is next? I don't want to see any healthcare workers hurt. I don't want to hear, there were threats of them storming UHN, um, I guess it would have been two weeks ago. And my concern is like, what the hell is going on with people? Like, if we can't get through a global pandemic, what about climate change? What about like all these other really pressing issues? Like, it, I that's where some of my thoughts lie in terms of my concerns in terms of our profession. I think that, like you said, Sarah, we can't go back to where we were. There's no way, but we need to, again, mental health of, you know, the people who are working mental health of the people on the outside looking in, I think there's, there's a lot of fish to fry. And I mean, I'm going to be optimistic, I'm going to try to be positive. But I think there's a lot that we need to deal with, um, going moving forward through this pandemic. And after this pandemic, that um, there's a lot of ramifications and things that we're gonna have to deal with. So that's my little spiel. I, I I know it's 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 way too much. We can't get into it yeah. in the the next couple minutes. But there's so much more that we have to deal with. Uh, th- those are my concerns. So I think it's just so clear that you know I can't believe this didn't turn into a federal election issue. Um, right. And it's it's <laughs> it's kind of like COVID, right? Where you don't like when the problem really manifests itself when your ICUs start to get overloaded. Um, you know, putting in the public health measures at that point, it's it's a little too late, right? Right. No. And that's why it's been, you know, it's been mm-hmm. such a frustrating experience. But I mean, we're at that stage where, you know, the the analogy of the nursing crisis, the, the ICU beds are all full. The system is is in a real state of, of disarray. And so, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine, unfortunately, our political leadership really coming up with a kind of bold package that's required to retain nurses and, and stem the stem the tide here. Um, but I think, I'm cautiously optimistic that um, the great work of um, this movement that's being driven by these uh, grassroots frontline nurses, and I guess I'll throw you guys in there as well, um, can hopefully bring um, the the public uh, to their senses and to a, a point where they're demanding of their politicians that we we deal with this. So, and I hope it doesn't have to get a lot worse before it can get better again. But yeah, 
I mean, I, I completely agree. And I, I, I can't even imagine what much worse would look like. I think the fact is when people say, you know, our health care system is collapsing. No, it has collapsed. I think um, we're beyond mm-hmm. that point. And I mean, we really need to do a really good job of ed- educating the public too, like, because they vote, right? We need to let them mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. what, what are we asking for? It's more than just money. It's about, you know, having that dignity, having that respect, having the ability to practice in a safe environment so we can keep our patients and family members safe. I think that, you know, those conversations are so hugely important to have and I'm up for the challenge. I'm ready, right, Sarah? We're ready. We're going to do this. (laughs) We're ready. We're ready. (laughs) Chris, I just wanted to thank you so much again for coming onto our podcast. This might be a bit premature, but I'm sensing a part two coming in the future. Uh, to discuss some of the other passions that you have in medicine. Thank you so much for coming on. I'd be so happy to come back. Thanks for having me, guys. A real pleasure. Thank you, Chris.